So I was asked to speak. Um, Garland and I were doing two weeks. That means whatever I miss out, he's got to cover on conquering then. And then when I heard the word conquering, it's sort of like, it's not a, a word that I use very often. And of course, I thought immediately, being British, of William the Conqueror. Anyone heard of William the Conqueror? Wonderful. He, he changed, changed the UK. I mean, totally. It was Anglo-Saxon. He came 1066. I'm just showing off because I remember my history. It, ne it never seemed fair to me when I came to Canada because Canadians don't have to learn so much history. In the UK, there's a lot more. Anyway, he, he brought the Normans and took over. And you know, when he died, they put him in the coffin and uh, he wouldn't fit. So the priests were pushing down on him and his body exploded. <laughs> so I'll leave you with that vision as a... <laughs> There's, there's no video on YouTube, you can't see that, but an interesting fact about William the Conqueror. Anyway, I like to row. Oh yeah, so I'm thinking, talking about conquering, and of course the first thing I do is I look up what does it mean, uh, better, better make sure I know what it is I'm talking about. And, and it's about overcoming, being victorious, and I thought, well that's cool, I can, I can do that. So I love to row. Now my boat, um, so see this red line here? It goes from about here to here. And it's about that wide. It's very thin. It's very easy to tip over, but I've never tipped it over because I'm so cautious. I, I don't, I'm not afraid of falling in the water. It's like... How am I going to get back in this boat? Because it is very unstable. That's the whole point. It's, it's supposed to be able to go zooming across the, the water, so it's very flat. There's one fin. It's about the size of my hand. That's all I've got to stop the boat tipping over. And then we have oars. So my oar, if I'm standing here, my oar will go to that red line and the other one to that red line. They're really wide out, and, and they're, they're very helpful for stopping tipping it over. And uh, so I go rowing, and I've been rowing for about seven, eight years. I don't remember how long, I just remember I love it. And when I first started rowing, I kept getting my oars tangled up with weeds. More this time of year, beginning, not so much, but at the end, and when I get my oars tangled up with weeds, basically I've got two choices. Either I stop and try and get them off, or I keep going, leaving them on. Now, so I'm sitting here, I've got weeds all over this one. There's no way I can bring it into the boat and take the weeds off, because I will simply go into the water. The, the oars are to keep me from falling into the water, which I don't want to do. And so I used to, when I first started rowing, I would not take my weeds off. I would row with weeds tangled around my oars, and I'd keep going. And I realized this was very much what I was like as a young Christian, in that when I had problems, I ignored them. 
didn't have a clue how to deal with them, so I'd keep going with my problems, just let them go. It's like uh, one of the problems I had was jealousy. And uh, I knew I was jealous, but then I worked out Christians aren't supposed to be jealous, don't know how to deal with it. No, I'm not really jealous. And I, I'd pretend that, that I wasn't. I mean, stupid really, but I had absolutely no desire to overcome. I just wanted to keep going with my problems. And if you get weeds on your oar, it slows you down. You have to work much harder to keep going. So that's what I do in my walk with the Lord. I worked much harder. And I went slower. And the other thing is, if you get them on one oar, but not on the other, instead of going in a straight line, you tend to steer off. All these problems I, I had when I was rowing, I had these in my Christian life because I didn't know how to deal with anything. So ignore it, pretend it's not there, keep going. Well, as a young Christian, I decided I wanted to know God better. And it's, like, it's quite easy, really. I mean, this is logic. I always move in logic because that's what I am. That's who I am. And I thought, well, how do I get to know God better? Well, it's obvious. You read the book about him. So I read it and read it and read it. And I got, and I didn't even type these out because there are so many of them. I got to Revelation. Took a while because that's the last one. And of course, I started at the beginning. But I kept coming across these verses. So 2-7, Revelation. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, who overcomes, who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Oh, that's cool. 2.11. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The second death is when you get thrown in the lake of fire. And really, I had no desire to be thrown in the lake of fire. So I thought, oh, and who gets that? The one who is victorious. 2.17. Whoever has ears. You know, it says this every time. I got a bit fed up. Why does it keep saying this over and over again? Because it says, wake up, Mary, you dummy, and listen. Hear what is being said. This is really important. Get it. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Oh, I like that. Yep, yep. Uh, and it goes on, 26, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Oh, and just in case you think it's not there, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
still there every time. Three, five. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in royal. I should go to verse four. You have a few people in Sardis who haven't soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge their name before the Father, my Father, and his angels. And just in case, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 3.12 The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever is his ears, let him hear. 3.12, oh, I'm just going to read one more. 3.21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I read this as a young Christian, and I thought, whoops, I need to be victorious. I need to overcome. I need to be honest with myself, because that was the the first person, I need to deal with things that are wrong in my life, not just pretend they're not there and try and keep going with these weeds wrapped around my oars and thinking, oh, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Oh, it's so hot. So then the question is, of course, how? I mean, it's all very well. I'm reading these and I'm thinking, yes, I've got to be victorious. Yes, okay. I'm struggling with this. What do I do with it? Well, I kept reading Revelation, of course, because that was one thing I had realized was helpful. And then I came to chapter 12. And here's the answer. Um, I'm going to read from verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. The accuser of the brethren, the accuser, the one who likes to accuse us and tell us how awful we are. Okay, he's been thrown down. So they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So it was all there for me. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame, they triumphed, they defeated him, they were victorious by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And in the Passion, it says, they conquered him completely through the blood of the lamb and the powerful word of his testimony. They triumphed because they did not love and cling to their own lives, even when faced with death. So it's easy. Basically, 
we overcome through what Jesus has done for us. We overcome through what Jesus has done for us. And, and you know, even when I'm, I'm rowing and I got more confident and I realized I got weeds on my oar and I couldn't pull it in to take it off, so I thought, well, what can I do? And it's very simple. I've just got to turn the oar over. Got to do it very carefully, but I've got to turn it over and the weeds will fall off. And I felt this is the same. All we have to do is turn it over to Jesus. I, I, I love this, the Bible. And I love the fact, I remember when John Arnott was here and uh, he was encouraging us to know what this book says. I love that. Uh, Adam last week was encouraging us to know what the Bible says. So, so important. I, I tend not to memorize scripture and because partly because, okay, I've got two versions even this morning, my NIV and the Passion. Uh, I read the Passion mostly now, but they haven't done the Old Testament yet, and I always read the Old Testament as well, so I still have my NIV, and then when you try to memorize, it's sort of like, oh, which version? But what, what I do is I generally, I know what the Bible says. I don't necessarily know verses, but I know what it says. When I became a Christian, I read through the Bible every year for about 10 years. Uh, then I, I changed how I did it, but I still like to read everything. I even read Leviticus quickly. But there is one verse, you know, I, I've used it so many times, I do know it off by heart. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I <clears throat> have meditated on that and thought on that because you know, when you think of the word confess, so my daughter, son-in-law, they have five kids. They have triplets who are three years old. One time they found a hobby horse stuffed down the toilet, head first. Unfortunately, stuffed down after someone had used the toilet. And so my daughter says, okay, who put the hobby horse down the toilet? And Seth said, I did it. So he confessed. He wasn't in the least bit repentant. Could not answer. Well, why did you do that? I don't know. He just does it. So, I mean, there's confession and there's confession. But because if we confess our sins, we are confessing it as a sin. And sometimes I think, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time looking at repentance and sometimes I think, okay, I've got to repent of this, I've got to feel bad and working on repentance. Um, the first time Jesus talked about repentance, oh, what was it, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus calls for repentance. In the Passion it says, keep turning away from your sins and come back to God. Keep turning away from your sins and come back to God. And 
sometimes you need to confess more than once. I mean, sometimes it's great, you confess and, and you're free, but sometimes you confess and it's the same. You know, when I'm rowing and I get fr stuck in, in weeds and I get them off and I go and the next stroke I'm stuck again and I've got to get them off. Sometimes we need to confess again and again and again. And sometimes, and I remember this one time, I was rowing and uh, I was going near the shore because I was a bit anxious of falling in. I'm not in the least bit anxious now, so I don't go so close. But I got stuck in, in weeds and I tried to get out and I got stuck this side and I got stuck that side. And my friend that I was rowing, who was the other side, couldn't help me because she would get stuck. And I was so totally stuck in weeds. And after 15 minutes, of wiggling my boat here, wiggling my boat there. It's like, I am never going to get out of this. And then I noticed a young man, you know, these uh, boards that they stand up and paddle on. I saw him and I said, oh, excuse me. And I asked for help. And guess what? He came over, he got the reeds off one of my oars, watched as I wiggled my boat out, saw that I was free and helped me go on my way. So there are times when we need to ask for help. This is not all about you doing it yourself. Um, we need to work on it ourselves. We need to own our sin. We need to be honest. We need to confess it to God. But sometimes we find, oh, I am so stuck. And then you ask for help. So then what happens after that? You know, one of the most important ways of living an overcoming life is living in the truth of what God says and does. So important. Now, there were these two young kids. Their names were Sally and Johnny. This is an old story, so they're old-fashioned names. Anyway, they went to stay with their parents on a farm. Sorry, grandparents on a farm, just for the summer. So they were there for quite a few weeks, staying with their grandparents. And uh, Johnny was given a sling, you know, that, the two prongs, and you pull it back, boing, boing. And he had one of those slings. So he took it out and uh, practiced. All morning, he was out there with his slingshot. And you know how many times he hit something? Not once. Absolutely awful. He couldn't do it at all. But anyway, he had a slingshot. So he's walking back to the farm, and as he walks back, he sees his grandma has a pet duck. And he sees this duck, and without really thinking, he picks up a stone, and he, and he hits the duck and kills it dead. Stone dead. And he, he panics and... and Oh, good grief, what can I do? I've killed my grandma's pet duck. And he rushes and he picks it up and, and there's the wood pile. So he buries the duck in the wood pile and he's just finished hiding it up. And he looks up and his sister is watching him. And she doesn't say a word. So that evening, 
the, they have a nice meal with their grandparents, and after the meal, grandma says, Sally, let's go wash the dishes. But Sally said, oh, Johnny told me he wanted to help you with the dishes tonight. Didn't you, Johnny? And whispered to Johnny, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Next day, Grandpa says, oh, uh, I'd like to take the, the children fishing with me. Is that okay? And Grandma says, oh, no, I, I need Sally to, to help me with get lunch ready. And Sally said, oh, that's all taken care of. Johnny will help, won't you, Johnny? Remember the duck. So this went on for quite a few days. Johnny was doing his chores and Sally's chores. And after a while, it's like, I can't take this any longer. I'm supposed to be on holiday and I'm doing everyone's chores. And he couldn't cope with it and he went to grandma and he confessed, I killed your duck. And grandma said, I know. Gave him a hug. I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing. And because I love you, I forgave you. I just wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. One John one nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, I remember a little while ago um, at the prophetic group, I had a word for someone, and I shared it, and then afterwards I checked it out scripturally because I. I love this book and I want to know for sure that everything I'm sharing is, is of God and comes from his word. The, the word was uh, along the lines of uh, this person was forgiven. Um, they remembered what they'd done wrong and beat themselves up for it. The accuser of the brethren remembers what they'd done wrong and was accusing them, but God had forgotten and that is so alien to us. God has forgotten. <clears throat> so I wanted to find this in the scripture. A bit more than just one verse. I wanted to find I found my story. So here's my story. I am in Genesis 70, 77. Genesis 17. I just added to Genesis a few chapters. Genesis 17. I'm going to start there. I, I'm not going to read all of it. I'm sure you know the story. When Abraham, sorry, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. I mean, I, I read that and I thought, God appeared to him? And you just read this one verse and it's just a little, a God appeared to him? Wow, wow. How did he? Incredible. God appeared to him. I'm God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So Abraham, Abraham as he is then, has this God encounter. That's when God changes him to Abraham. And uh, he has this, talks about um, circumcision. 
So a wonderful, wonderful time. Abraham is, is with God having this encounter. Verse 17, no, verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, but her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, oh, if only Ishmael might be under your blessing. Well, God replies, yeah, I am going to bless Ishmael, but I'm going to give you a son. Now, I, I read that. That's not exactly, uh, I'm having a God encounter. God's telling the truth. Yes, amen. I believe it. That is not how it reads to me. He laughed. He, he thought, how, how, how is that possible? Then in chapter 18, there are three visitors. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. And uh, he runs and cooks a meal. So this must take quite a long time because they didn't have a microwave in those days. They get a sheep, they cook it, and eventually they, they bring it out. And uh, one of them said, verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So this is the second time that God has spoken to Abraham and told him he's going to have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is all old, will I now have this pleasure? So she laughed to herself. Now remember, this is behind a tent. It's not like there's a big door and she didn't go, ha, 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 you know, because she would have been heard. She probably, <laughs> quietly to herself. She probably sniggered, but her response was not, oh, yay God, yay God, I believe it, I believe it. No, her response, I would say, was pretty similar to our husband's. He said, can a man a hundred and can a woman grieve past the age of childbearing? It is the same word for laughter in both chapter 17, speaking of Abraham, chapter 18, speaking of Sarah. Uh, I, I've read this so many times. I have read the commentaries that said that Abraham's laughter was a laugh of faith and Sarah was a laugh of unbelief, and I laugh. Sometimes I, I think some of the old theologians were a little patriarchal. Neither of these guys responded in, yay God, I believe it, that settles it. Yes, we're going to have a kid. And it's interesting too that uh, Sarah isn't rebuked, Abraham. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? It doesn't help that she lied and said, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. But really, it was Abraham's responsibility. He'd had an encounter with God. He should have told his wife. She should have been prepared. So this is not uh, a rebuke on Sarah. If it's a rebuke at all, it's a rebuke on both of them. 
but in some ways more Abraham because he'd had an encounter with God. Right, now I'm turning to Hebrews. <coughs> I, I often think, and this is just my idea, although I'm sure I'm not the only one, I often think that a woman wrote Hebrews. I think a woman wrote Hebrews and didn't put her name to it because some men would never have read it if they knew it was written by a woman. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. There, there's, it doesn't say who wrote Hebrews, so we don't know. But uh, so Hebrews 11:11 11, 11 says, "And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful." who had made the promise. I read that and I thought, didn't you read Genesis? I, I looked down and apparently it says the same in the Passion. This is a very difficult verse to translate and it could equally have been, by faith Abraham, even though he was too old to have children and Sarah herself was not able to conceive, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who'd made the promise. Either way, my response is, didn't you read Genesis? And then I realized, this is the story I've been looking for. Because the way that God saw Abraham and Sarah, they were forgiven. They dealt with their unbelief, and God remembered it differently. This is God has forgotten. God has forgotten. It's gone. Their sin of unbelief is dealt with. This was just such, I was just so thrilled when I read this again. When God forgives our sins, he forgets them. He forgets them. There are other scriptures. Hebrews 8.12, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Isaiah 43.25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He forgets. He forgets. You know, if uh, you had a problem on the way here and said something unkind to someone you were in the car with and you put it right before God, God's forgotten it. God's forgotten it. Don't let the accuser of the brethren hold it over you. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. It's under the blood, forgiven, forgotten, gone. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, all sin. Do we see ourselves like Abraham, Abraham and Sarah when they were told they were going to have a son. I'm trying so hard to believe. I'm trying so hard to respond in faith. 1 John 1, 9. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Bam! Done! Done! How does God see you? Clean. Holy. And, you know, I want to say I do not believe in positive speaking. I don't believe in it. I play tennis. I'm not bad for my age and sex, but um, at the club I play, the, the guy who always wins with the men, I could go around and tell myself, his name is Dan, and I can say, I can beat Dan. I can beat Dan. And I can speak positively over and over again. I might even convince myself. I might even convince some other people until they see me playing him. There is no value in positive speaking. There is value in declaring the truth. We need to declare the truth. I am forgiven. I am clean. I am holy. So when the enemy comes and says, you can't do that, Mary, look what you did the other day. And I said, God's forgiven me. I'm not the best. I know that. But I'm clean. God has forgiven me. I was in the prophetic group, and we were doing uh, an exercise, a wonderful little exercise. And uh, what we had to do was, first of all, write down what's on your mind. Well, what was on my mind was my daughter. And so I, I wrote it down. We did some other things, and then we were asked to give it to the Lord. Cool, I can do that, gave it to the Lord. And uh, then we were asked, what does the Lord want to say to you? Oh, well, that's easy. And so I waited on the Lord, and I felt the Lord say, trust me. And I thought, okay. And then we were asked to go deeper. And I felt the Lord saying, trust me with Hannah. And my response was, I can't. I didn't realize that I struggled like this, but as the Lord went deeper and said, trust me with Hannah, I said, I can't. And the reason I couldn't was because I've lost my son. He drowned, and I prayed a lot for my son before he drowned, and he still drowned, and I really struggled. How can I trust God with my daughter? I thought I'd trusted him with my son, and look what happened. So, I've learned. If I struggle, if I can't do something, when I've got weeds on my oar and I really can't deal with it myself, I'm going to ask for help. So, I, I, I ask for help. And I received ministry. And I was asked, where was Jesus when my son died? And I felt the Lord was with him. And then I was asked, you know, where, where is Jesus taking Nathan? Nathan's my son. And uh, my response was, Jesus is taking Nathan to the Father, but I don't want him to. I want my son. And uh, a bit later, someone said, well, say that to Jesus. What does Jesus say to you? So I did. And Jesus said to me, 
you're going to have him back. And it was, oh, it was, it was wonderful. It was like the, the, the weeds fell off. Of course, you know, when I got home, the first thing I did was, God, where's that? Where's that in the scripture? You know where it is? Job. That's where God led me. I love stories, so it's got to be a story. The story of Job. You know the story of Job? Uh, Lloyd was sharing a bit about it a couple of weeks ago. Job lost everything. And then in the end, God uh, blessed him and gave him. So if he had 30 camels, God gave him 60. If he had 200 sheep, God gave him 400. He had seven kids, God gave him seven kids. Why not double? Because he's getting the other ones back. He's getting the other ones back. Double blessing all along, but he only needed seven more kids because he was getting the other ones back. And God enabled me to trust him with my daughter. So I am going to finish here. I really would like to encourage you... uh, to spend two minutes just telling the Lord, I'm gonna overcome. I'm not gonna hide. I'm not gonna keep the weeds on my oar. I'm gonna get rid of them. I'm gonna turn them over to Jesus. I'm gonna turn my oars over and let the, the, the weeds go because Jesus has paid the price. And I wanna give a, an opportunity for anyone who feels as they turn them over They're not coming off. I've struggled with this for so long. This is a good time to come forward and get help, to receive some ministry, and ask others to stand with you. So uh, two minutes of everyone quiet, just declaring to the Lord that you are going to overcome. You're not going to hide from your weaknesses. You're not going to pretend they're not there. You're not going to go away with uh, the same things that you came in with this morning. So two minutes where you declare that. And then after that, if anyone would like some ministry, please come forward.